0: So let's take your Bibles at this time, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and we want to turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. One verse, that it has the naming of our Savior in it. As we read the Word of God and hear it preached, it's God who is speaking to our hearts. Listen to the Word of the Lord. Luke two twenty one, And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Let's bow our hearts together. Father, we come to you before we hear your word preached and having heard it read, for we stand ready to hear from you. We stand ready to hear about the name that is above all names, the name at this Advent season that was given at the first Advent, and the name that will be proclaimed by every living being. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. O Father, we pray that the hearing of your word, the singing of your praises, Even these prayers would prepare our hearts to receive that which you have for us, that comes to us by the one and only Savior and Lord, Jesus of Nazareth. We pray in his glorious name. Amen. Jesus, because of that name,
1: we don't have to fear. In fact, the angel has now said in the first Two chapters of Luke's gospel, the angels declared, do not be afraid. And for good reason, fear was introduced into our human identity the moment sin broke our relationship with God. You can read all about it in Genesis chapter 3. And so now, as a result of that, we are all acquainted with fear. All of us here. Whether it's from common fears, such as fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of rejection, to fear of death, to specific fears that are the result of the COVID realities in which we now live. And so it's easy for negative voices to cause us to sort of shrink back and even bow to fear. But the good news is God wants to set us free From our fears. Now, I'm not suggesting a a superhuman posture that says you you never experience a moment of fear. But I am suggesting that because of the presence of God, the, the promises of God, even the power of God, that we are not held captive to fear anymore. Don't be afraid. This is God's loving invitation to trust Him. And as we have seen throughout this series, God gives us several reasons why we can trust Him, why we should trust Him. We can trust God because He remembers to keep His promises. And He has kept those promises in His Son, Jesus Christ. We can trust God because the Lord is with you and nothing is impossible with God. We saw last Sunday that we can trust God because a Savior is born who brings us peace with God. And today we're going to see another reason why we can trust God. So don't be afraid. And the reason is Jesus saves. And we see this right here in this unique one verse in Luke chapter 2 verse 21. Look at it again with me notice what it says and at the end of eight days when he that is Jesus was circumcised he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now I'm sure most of you here have probably heard of the song 12 days of Christmas. What you may not realize is that the 12 days begin on December the 25th Christmas doesn't end on the 25th. It just gets going. And according to Luke here, we could sing that song this way. On the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me the circumcision and the name of Jesus. What? That's a little odd, a little weird. But that's what happened on this day. On the eighth day of Christmas, God's true love gave to me and gave to you the circumcision In name of Jesus. And yes, this is another reason why we don't have to be afraid. Now I admit, this is a rather peculiar part of the Christmas story. In fact, it's an often overlooked part of the Christmas story. I mean, when's the last time you heard a Christmas song on this verse? Anybody? I don't think any of us have sung a Christmas carol about the circumcision of Jesus Christ. I mean, how many of you have read a Christmas card... ...about this verse, about the circumcision of baby Jesus. As one author said, if you doubt that it's overlooked, consider this... ...whenever the Christmas story is read from the Gospel of Luke... ...it almost always starts in verse 1, goes all the way through to verse 20... ...and then we tend to skip over this particular verse... ...so we can get to the story of Simon and Anna. Most of us here probably don't consider the eighth day... ...is a very significant day in our own lives. But the eighth day was a very significant day... In the life of Jesus. In fact, the eighth day was the day every Israelite boy was to be circumcised, to be named. And for this reason, the eighth day of Jesus Christ was very significant. And so what I want us to do here is simply explore the significance of our Savior's eighth day and why. Why the truth in this one verse can actually set us free from our fears and specifically the fear of death. First of all, notice with me here, Jesus was circumcised on his eighth day. He was circumcised on his eighth day. Now, this was a a very normal Jewish practice. In fact, to the Jews, circumcision was about devotion. It was a sign that the child was set apart to the Lord. So why did the creator of the universe, why did the Son of God have to go through such a ritual as circumcision? Well, perhaps a little background on the Jewish rite of circumcision will help with our understanding. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. The rite of circumcision was a sign. It was a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. If you turn back the clock a few hundred thousand years, or a few thousand years, I should say, God made a covenant with Abraham. God promised that Abraham would have a son. And that his offspring would become countless like the stars, and that they would live in the land of Israel. And God promised Abraham that all the nations on the earth would be blessed through his seed. And because Abraham had faith in this promise of God, God actually counted Abraham's faith as righteousness, and God gave Abraham a sign to mark this covenant that God had made to Abraham. And so the sign of this covenant between God and Abraham is what is known as circumcision. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, where it says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. And so this circumcision in the flesh was the mark of God's covenant. It was required of every Jewish male who wanted to practice the faith. In fact, without this mark, the man was cut off from the people of God. He cannot even be part of the people of God, nor would he receive the blessings of God. So who then was the seed of Abraham through whom all the nations would be blessed? Well, it was none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ, who as a baby was now passively keeping the covenant of circumcision. And his parents circumcised him on his eighth day. Now think about it. Jesus was now going to be a blessing to all the nations. And already at eight days old, the time was arriving for the promises here to become a reality. Now, although our text doesn't emphasize it, this rite of circumcision was actually a very joyful occasion that is still practiced by observant Jews today. Family and friends will gather together to celebrate the baby boy's entrance into the covenant of the Jewish people. And while this is way outside of our cultural context, most of us here don't understand this, it's impossible to overestimate the importance of circumcision to the Jews. It's the most fundamental law of the Jewish religion. It's the ultimate symbol of Jewish identity and the means by which a Jewish male enters the covenant God made with Abraham. Several years ago, there was a conference held at the United Nations, and to welcome all the delegates represented from the many nations, they stretched a banner across the front of the UN, and it said, welcome, in several different languages. However, there was one tiny mistake. In one of the languages, they got one letter wrong, so instead of reading welcome in that language, it said, circumcision. I don't know about you, but if I saw that on a sign, I think I'd find another conference to a turn. I promise we won't have that on our com- cross-conference uh, as you come to that. But to the Jews, listen to me, this was exactly what the circumcision means. It was the ceremony that welcomed a young baby boy into the covenant of Abraham on his eighth day. And while this little history lesson on the Jewish rite of circumcision may be interesting to all three of you here this morning it still doesn't fully explain why Jesus had to be circumcised. So let's see if we can answer this question. Here are two reasons why Jesus had to be circumcised. The first of which is to prove his incarnation of being born in the flesh. Now, one of the heresies that plagued the early church denied the very humanity of Jesus Christ. The teachers of this heresy taught that Jesus only appeared to have a human body. And that his, quote, body was just an appearance of something ghostly. But you can't circumcise a ghost, can you? In fact, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, he, he's very clear that Jesus was born in the flesh when he writes in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, that is Jesus Christ, became flesh flesh and dwelt among us and so the circumcision circumcision of jesus proves that he truly shared our flesh he was one of us in every sense of the word while still being get this fully god at the same time it's a mystery indeed and yet it is true indeed the second reason jesus was circumcised was to demonstrate his obedience to the law of Moses. Some of you might recall what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. There in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus himself says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so it was necessary that Jesus be 100% obedient to all of God's commands or laws. And the very first of those laws was circumcision. In fact, we find this again in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, where God said, And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskins shall be circumcised. And that's what Paul meant later on in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when he said that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. And so here at Jesus' circumcision was his first fulfillment of the law although jesus had no need of forgiveness of sins he was still circumcised why to demonstrate his obedience to the law of moses that every male child of eight days old was to be circumcised and so the very first significant thing that happened on jesus eighth day was his circumcision but something else happened on the eighth day that was of great significance as well And that is, Jesus was named on his eighth day. Now today, even in our culture still, naming your baby is a very big deal for parents. In fact, it's one of the great privileges of becoming a parent. What shall we call our baby? Most new parents spend hours debating this question. I can relate to that. My wife and I certainly did. And perhaps you did as well. Shall the new baby be named after his father or his mother? Maybe an uncle or an aunt or some longtime friend? Shall we pick a name that happens to be popular at the moment? Or should we pick a name because we just like the sound of it? And in case you're wondering, here are the top five names in 2020 for guys. Liam, Noah, Jackson, Aiden, and Elijah are the top five boys' names in 2020. For girls, the top five girls' names in 2020, in this order, are Sophia, Olivia, Riley, Emma, and Ava. Names are important. And so when it was time for God to send his son to be born, what name would God give to his only son? What would God call him? And again, we're told here in this one verse that at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, two observations right out of this. First of which is, the name Jesus was given by whom? It was given by the angel before Jesus was even conceived. You see, Mary and Joseph, they didn't have to agonize over what to name their son like we do. The angel told them what name to give to their son. In fact, the angel told Joseph what to name his son, Jesus, in a dream. And we can read about that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel's announcement to Mary was very similar. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so the second observation is the name Jesus also means the Lord saves. The Lord saves, or Jehovah is salvation. So we see two observations from this. The name Jesus was given by the angel before Jesus was conceived, and the name Jesus means the Lord saves. How many of you know what an aptronym is? Ever heard of that word, or you know what it is? Aptronym is when someone's name matches their occupation. In other words, what they're called describes what they do. In fact, often in a humorous or ironic sort of way. In fact, here are some true examples. Uh, James Bug, what do you think his occupation was? An exterminator. Dr. Bowser was a veterinarian. Dan Druff was a barber. Dr. Russell Brain was a neurologist. Robert Coffin. An undertaker. Dr. Smiley. You can probably figure that one out. An orthodontist. Roy Grout is a bricklayer. Dr. Whitehead, a dermatologist. Sonia Shears was a hairdresser. Dr. Pullen, a dentist. And my my favorite one is Scott Free. What do you think he was? A defense attorney. The name Jesus actually matches His purpose in life, His mission in life. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of salvation. But the name Jesus, notice this with me, also points to our great need as human beings. You see, Jesus came to save us from our sins. As Paul states in 1 Timothy 1, 1.5, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, Paul says, I am the worst, or I'm the chief. So, let's step back from this a moment, and here's the question. Is there a connection between Jesus' circumcision and Jesus' name? Is there a connection between the two? And the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, think of it this way. What would it cost Jesus to be the Savior of the world? Jesus paid for our sins with his blood on the cross. So here's the connection. Jesus is just eight days old here. And already his blood is being shed for our redemption of our sins. As one commentator writes, his circumcision was his first suffering for us. And so Jesus was circumcised for us, and later, He will be crucified for us. And so I hope you're beginning to see that there's a direct line from Jesus' birth to His circumcision, and ultimately to His cross, which brings us to the significance of our Savior's circumcision. Notice this. The circumcision of Jesus, it foreshadows the blood He will shed for the sins of the world with his death on the cross. Now, what's interesting about all of this is that most likely Jesus was circumcised in the home of Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. And Joseph himself probably performed the circumcision. Now, we don't know that for sure, but if that is true, then just think with me about the symbolism of it all. Jesus begins His life by shedding His own blood at the hand of His earthly Father. Those few drops of blood point now to the bloody way that His life will end on the cross at the hand of His heavenly Father. Listen, this means that we cannot understand the circumcision of Jesus apart from the cross of Jesus. Jesus was born to die and on the eighth day his blood was already being shed for us joseph and mary called him jesus and the shadow of the cross followed him all the days of his life this is why jesus came this is why he was born this is why he died to save us from our sins now we are living in unprecedented times here in 2020. In fact, you're probably tired of that word being used to describe 2020. And yet the fact of the matter is, it is true. We're living in unprecedented times where the COVID-19 pandemic has triggered a a surge in what mental health experts call death anxiety. Preliminary numbers suggest... That the United States will see more than 3.2 million deaths in 2020. By far the deadliest year in US history, with COVID 19 killing more than 300,000 Americans, depending on what you believe about the stats. U.S. deaths increase most years, so some annual rise in fatalities is to be expected. But the 2020 numbers amount to a jump of about 15% and could go higher once all the deaths from the month of December are factored in. Now, that would mark the largest single-year percentage leap since 1918, when tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers died in world war one and hundreds of thousands of americans died in a flu pandemic that year in fact in that year 1918 death rose some 46 percent from the previous year and so yes now death is all a part of our everyday lives you see it everywhere you cannot open up your phone and and read or get onto social media without death being there Death is a part of our everyday lives. And as a result of this unique year of 2020, people are now even overwhelmed more by death anxiety. Death has a way of doing that to us. Shocks us. Scares us. Even sobers us up. And if COVID makes us think about our own mortality makes us think about our destiny after we die, then I say that's a good thing. In fact, Martin Luther said we should live with the day of our death constantly before our eyes. That way we won't be surprised when the day finally comes. And come, it will, because the statistics are awesome to contemplate. One out of one person will die someday. No one gets a free pass and so what we see even today at the end of this year is death is a problem for all of us death is all around us as a result of our sin but the good news is the good news is that Jesus saves so we don't have to fear death hebrews 2:14 tells us that jesus came to destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. And so Satan, we're told, has the power of death, and he uses this fear of death to keep people enslaved to their sins. But Jesus has broken that power. He did it 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday morning by rising from the dead. And so, yes, the devil still has the power of death. He still holds it in his hands in that all will die someday. But he has been rendered powerless over the children of God because, listen, folks, if you know Jesus Christ, though you die physically, you will live eternally with Jesus himself. And so hallelujah, right? Jesus broke the bondage of death by delivering us from the very fear of death with his own death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. In the circumcision of Jesus now foreshadows the blood that he will shed on the cross in order to save us from our sins. So don't be afraid here this morning. The last Sunday of 2020. Don't be afraid. Why? Don't live in fear of death. Why? Because Jesus saves. Now, for many people, death has a painful, is a painful passing from, from this life that we touch and see and feel into the life to come. In the process of dying, I readily admit can be agonizing for many. It can be excruciating. It can be terrifying. The process of dying can involve a lot of suffering for some. And so I personally, I do not necessarily look forward to my own death, but I can say this very plainly and very confidently. I'm not afraid to die. If you find out that I should die of cancer or COVID, be assured I was ready to go. And it's not because I'm some kind of Rambo-type tough guy who can simply look death in the face and laugh at it. No, that's not why. And it's not because I'm some super Christian either. And it's not because my occupation as a pastor makes me some holy man. No, I'm ready to die because of one reason and one reason only. I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And he, he alone has freed me from the fear of death. What about you this morning? You here this morning that are sitting with us in person. Are you fearful of death? What about those of you who are watching online? Are you fearful of death? Or have you allowed the Savior Jesus Christ to help you overcome that fear because you now know Him as your Savior and Lord? You have put your faith and trust in Him to save you from your sins. You know, on Christmas Day, Most of us gathered around the dinner table with a few family members, maybe a few friends, to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And today I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table to remember the significance, not just of our Savior's birth, but of our Savior's death on the cross. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, 14 through 18. It says, What we do see is jesus who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels and because he suffered death for us he is now crowned with glory and honor yes by god's grace jesus tasted death for everyone god for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory and it was only right that he should make jesus through his suffering a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. Verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. That's us. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that, we could be, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. That, my friends, is Jesus. That's what he has done for us through his birth. And yes, his circumcision and his death and his resurrection. Jesus saves. Therefore, we do not have to fear death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as we prepare our hearts to partake in communion. And we thank you for your saving grace and the gift of eternal life in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to overcome our hearts by trusting in you. Help us to see that we don't have to fear death if we know the Savior who shed his blood for us on the cross and rose again to give us eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here at LifeBridge, followers of Jesus Christ, that is those who, who trust Jesus for their salvation, those who identify with Christ in baptism and then commit to Christ's body in membership of a local church of like faith and practice. You are now invited to participate in communion. We here at LifeBridge, we also believe that the bread and the juice represent the body and blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. And it reminds us of who our Lord is and what he has done for us and is still doing for us even now and will yet do for us when he returns. Oh, we look forward to that day. And that's why we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. You may now take your communion packet, open it up and participate in communion at this time.